So what inspired that? Like, where, mm-hmm. did, where did that come from? This is such a uh, profound yeah. line. <laughs> I know everyone's life okay. is, how many of you have fallen down in public? And all these hands go up. My hand is up. How many of you have run into a door or a post? All these hands go up. Mine goes up. All of those things align with the five things that I'm not willing to compromise. So on the one hand, yeah, it sounds like there's all of this stuff, but they actually layer into each other beautifully because of that. Well, hello there, family. You're listening to Fired Up Freedom with Steve Ryan. Fired Up Freedom, all right. look for certain services or products and it's just hard to find and you want to know if someone else has used that before well visit my resources page steveryan.com slash resources steveryan.com slash resources fired up friday is now fired up freedom all right all right hello hello welcome to fired up friday mr sam (laughs) hey thanks i look forward to it (laughs) yes sir so you're you're just a everything. I, I you know, speaker, storyteller, educator, mentor, coach, entrepreneur, problem solver, community advocator. I, I mean, just just everything. You work with nonprofits. You just who who is Sam? But who would you tell me who Sam is? Because <laughs> you just See, everything. <laughs> yeah. No, you know, Steve. It sounds like I'm sort of all over the place, but. You know, there is a lot of synchronicity with regards to what I do. The best way for me to describe myself is there are five things that will guide and direct me in life, things that I'm not willing to compromise. And that's servant leadership, story sharing, activator igniter, champion enabler, and community do-gooder. What those five things have enabled me to do is to help individuals, teams, organizations, nonprofits, and educational institutions to, to be their pinnacle best. But that's also where it's enabled me to then, you know, be that speaker and storyteller, author, writer, uh, community activator, entrepreneur, mentor, and a coach. Because all of those things align with the five things that I'm not willing to compromise. So on the one hand, yeah, it sounds like he, there's all of this stuff, but they actually layer into each other beautifully because of that. Wow, that's incredible. And so how would you describe a community activator? That's an interesting term you're using. Yeah, well, a community do-gooder or community activator is someone who doesn't want to be a bystander in life, whether it's an individual, a nonprofit, you know, a community activator is how can I help and support in the best possible way to elevate individuals, organizations to to where they would like to be and need to be and what is it that I can do for them and uh, whether it's you know supporting them as a as a you know volunteer board member or even connecting them to the right people it's all about that wow and 
this may be a, a, mm-hmm. a bit of a, a weird question, but like, what ins- were you just born this way or did something <laughs> inspire you along the way to make you this way? <laughs> you, know? you know, and I guess really I can, I can trace it back to, you know, February 10th when I was, uh, you know, 1972, I was uh, nine years old. And, you know, my father had an industrial accident. He became a paraplegic as a result of this industrial accident. And at nine, I mean, think about it. I mean, you don't even know what paraplegia is, let alone, you know, the fact is, how do you even spell it? So, but what it made me realize is, you know, there are no guarantees in life. And I I don't know, Steve, I, I, it, I mean, it didn't happen at nine years old. I suddenly became this community activator. But right. I can look back and see that it meant that, you know, there are no guarantees in life. And I don't mean that from a morbid way, but I really do, do try to make the most of the days. I try to make the most of the opportunities that are around me. Mm-hmm. But it also told me that I have an opportunity to be a problem solver as opposed to just knowing what the problem is. And I think that resonated with me because I trace it back to that where, you know, I realize, you know, that I have an opportunity to do positive things in my community. And I mean, from throughout the years, it's been about uh, 50 nonprofits that I've supported. It's been about 5,000 conversations with individuals to help them in life and career. And it's always been interesting, Steve, because it's like I've been given so much, but the idea is I'm not allowed to hold on to it. I have to give it away. And by giving it away, more of it comes back to me. I have to give it away. So (laughs) that's the way my lifestyle is. There is so much richness that I have. I am probably, I feel like a a billionaire, but intrinsically, I feel like a billionaire. You know, uh, monetarily, there's a difference here because, you know, I don't look at it from, you know, success is not the monetary aspect. Success to me is that profound impact you can make with an individual or organization, but also the richness it makes you feel by being a community activator. Wow. Mm -hmm. That is incredible. And I'm taking a look at your website and this is just amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, and I love the saying like everybody's life is an autobiography, make yours worth reading. Mm -hmm. Love it. Wow. And you just have like, see who you've inspired is so many mm-hmm. different people. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just is wonderful. You have videos on here, ways to get in touch through mm-hmm. socials, speaking engagements. Uh, as far as speaking engagements, you yeah. know, speaking of that, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, was it a struggle to become a public speaker? Yeah, actually it was because when mm-hmm. I was in university and earlier, I used to be this awkward, shy, quiet kind of guy. Mm. And I and I remember it never was something that I was, you know, automatically or gifted with. But I remember somebody had asked me, you know, oh, you know, would you speak at this event? And I was like, oh, uh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> and I, sp- I spoke at the event. And yeah, it was probably one of the worst speeches I've ever given. And I had a decision at that point. Do I just stop at this point and say, I tried it and I don't like it? Or do I, you know, try it again? 
And fortunately, somebody said, oh, I, I heard you spoke at this one event. Now, thankfully, they never heard me at the first event. <laughs> and, you know, I said, okay, okay. I did the second event. And was it exceptional? Of course not. It was marginally better, but still terrible. Fortunately, a third person asked me to speak. And, you know, eventually I got very more and more comfortable with speaking. I mean, now I, apart from teaching, I mean, obviously you're up on, on the stage teaching at university and speaking, but I do about 30, 35 speaking opportunities, uh, you know, per year. It's been about uh, 50 podcasts that I've been guests uh, guesting on. Uh The important thing I would say for your listeners is stories are a really great way to activate your audience but you, because you never have to memorize your story. It's your story. Yes. And it just flows nicely. And what I would say to your audience members is, you know, we put this fear in us of standing in front of an audience and speaking. And I know that when I teach my class, one of the things I do is, you know, I will randomly point to people in my class and ask them a question, uh, you know, based on a concept or idea, but I always, give them this one piece at the first lecture. I said, okay, how many of you have fallen down in public? And all these hands go up. My hand is up. How many of you have run into a door or a post? All these hands go up. Mine goes up. How many of you have sent an email? And as you press send, you can see the one person who should not have been on that email train disappear (laughs) right before your eyes. It's the last thing you see as you try to grab the screen. My hand goes up. How many of you have, you know, you know, waved at somebody because they were waving at you and you wave back and then you suddenly realize they're not waving at you. It was someone else. And you're like, oh, my God, that's so awkward. (laughs) And how many of you have had all of those? And my hand is up. I said, but here's the thing. And I point to a student, you know, how many of you who fell down? And some person puts their hand up and I point to them and I said, when you fell down, I mean, did CNN show up? And put a microphone to your face and said, the world is watching and, uh, you know, you fell down. Are you okay? Or, you know, did people see it? And they're like, yeah. And I said, but did they go home and tell all their family members and go on social media and say, oh, my gosh, you're not going to believe what I saw today. A person fell down or they waved at me when they shouldn't have. I hate to say it. We are no one's priority. So, you know, when it comes to even speaking, yeah, you're going to mess up. And if you mess up, hey, that's okay. Not a problem. And you just recover. And it always amazes me when, you know, I talk to people and they are delivering their talk. They're like, oh, man, it messed up. And I said, why? And they said, well, I forgot to talk about this. And I forgot to talk about that. I said, yeah, but your audience members don't know that you forgot to talk about that. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's right. So, (laughs) I think it's more build your confidence, but talk about stuff that you are comfortable speaking with. So for me, personal branding, nonprofit leadership and followership, you know, mentorship and coaching, like all of those areas, you know, uh, career development, uh, educational career development, all of those areas are things that I'm really comfortable speaking about. And that's what I would tell your audience members as well is find what is it that energizes you that you can actually share stories or or build your your speaking opportunities. 
and you'd, you'd be surprised at how comfortable you may get at delivering these speeches. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. And when you say that you teach or mm -hmm. you help with the career development, mm -hmm. what's involved with that? I, I know like on the surface, the technical definition, but, mm -hmm. or, or let me ask yeah. Okay. Let's say I, I come to you for career development. I'm, I'm 20 mm -hmm. years old, sure. whatever age. Yeah. How do I leave that? How do I leave different? Yeah. I, I know that's a little weird, but just maybe. A no, average, no. You know. <laughs> Actually, Steve, those are, those are the 5,000 conversations I've had. I mean, it, it starts out the same way. They're lost. They're confused. They're on their way to graduate uh, sometime in the near future. I always say that, you know, there's a beautiful narrative that all of us have lived and preschool, kindergarten, a question was asked of us, what do you want to be when you grow up? And you know what? We pick these honorable jobs. I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a teacher. I want to be a police officer. And it goes on and on. But eventually practicality sets in. And before you know it, you have no idea what you want to do. The, the challenge is we are so focused on what, and we ask, you know, these young people, what are you going to do when you graduate? What are you studying? And the key thing, which I work with these, you know, now it's been 5,000 conversations, but over and over again is instead of what are you going to do? I want to know who you are. Tell me who you are. And I make every single student in my class in the beginning of the term and near the end, write a personal statement. A personal statement is, you know, I am someone who, and then dot, 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 fill in the blank, but don't make it into a running resume. Fired Up Freedom will be right back after these messages. Do you ever have moments where you feel stress, anxiety, or it's hard to sleep? Then meditation may be the perfect thing to help you. Come and join our meditation channel where there's 24 hours a day on-demand meditation music. Go to steveryan.com slash meditation. That's steveryan.com slash meditation. It's time to have freedom from the noise. So when we sit down and we have a conversation, part of what I will, will share with them, whether you're in high school, university, young professional, mid-level manager, even a senior managers, I always ask them, what are the five things you are not willing to compromise in life and career? Not career, but life and career. And they look at me and they say, oh, uh, I don't know. I said, okay. And that's where I gave you the five things that guide and direct me in life. Mm -hmm. And then I ask a question. Okay, tell me about a class. That, what classes are you doing that you really like? What classes don't you like? Why? why don't you like it or why do you like it and then we start going down and into a a reflective and introspection type of mode what about jobs that you've had what do you like about your job or jobs you've had what don't you like and why what do you like to do in your spare time but the key thing is to always ask why so for example i'll ask people you know tell me one thing you are not willing to compromise and many times i get this answer of family family is really important to me and i'm like okay why is family important then they will share 
Well, you know, it's the relationships and the connectedness I have with my immediate family, my extended family, maybe even my friends and, uh, you know, the, those relationships. I said, okay, so you use the words relationships and connectedness. So let me ask you this. Does relationships and connectedness also apply to your classes? And they're like, oh, yeah, for sure. What about any jobs that you've done? Does it apply there? And they're like, oh, absolutely. What about your social time in your spare time? What do you do? And, and you know, does that apply? And they're like, yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm like, can we replace family with relationships and connectedness as a key point of something that's going to be really important to you? And they're like, oh, I get it. <laughs> so that becomes one of their key things. Now, there is fear amongst people because what they fear is what if you're making, you know, you're making me pick five words. So what if one of those five things, you know, I'm sorry, what if those five things like aren't the right words? Yeah. I'm like, no, no, you pick the five. You can change them anytime in your life. Like, don't worry about, you know, the fact that you're picking the wrong words. Start from somewhere. Because what happens is you now have something that you can balance those five things against. So when opportunities emerge, does it hit five out of five, three out of five, two out of five? And Steve, I'll leave, it, leave you with this point. Um, any opportunities that emerge... I balance it against it and it has to be five out of five. So for example, being an educator was never a goal of mine. Being a writer was never a goal of mine, but when it emerged, it hit five out of five. And as a result, it mm -hmm. just naturally fit. So I always say, find these five things that you're then able to go forward and balance it and compare opportunities and see if it fits or not. Wow, that's yeah. incredible. And I do have a follow-up to that. Yeah. So if someone was like, let's say of, of uh, an older age, let's say 40, yeah. um, is the conversation any different than someone who's 20 or 25 or 30? Actually, it's interesting. And I would say marginally, yes, but overall, no. Because I think we've gone through life always focusing on, you know, what do I do and the what journey, not who am I? Hmm. And when you start focusing on who I've had senior executives, people that have been in companies for 30 years say, I don't know if I'm in the right job, you know, and, and, and it always comes out that maybe you did a finance course in university that just resonated and you did more finance courses. It all made sense. And all of a sudden, you're 30 years into this job and you're like, I didn't even really think about it, you know? <laughs> so what do, I mean, what does someone do in that situation? I mean, it's not going to always be practical to just leave, but yeah, what do you hope to accomplish in terms of, let's say I was a 30 year executive in something and, and um, yeah. what, what, if you had to say, okay, I would like this person to accomplish this after our conversation. Yep. What kind of things would that be? Okay. There's a couple of things. Um, I never, I never um, advise people what they should do. Okay. Uh, that's one thing uh, because I, I call myself the difficult monk 
because people come to me looking for the answers to life. They think of me as this orange saffron bearded man sitting on top of a mountain. I've got a bit of a beard. I sit, I do live up in the mountains in Vancouver, Canada, but no orange saffron robe. Actually, the way I look at it is, you know, the answers you're looking for lie within you. My responsibility is to ask these questions so that these questions emerge out of you. Mm -hmm. um, and you find this journey and this pathway. When it comes to that senior executive who, you know, is like, wow, like, yeah, uh, those things that you talk about, like the five things we've come up with really don't resonate. Part of it is then I say, okay, so what does resonate? And maybe it's two out of five, maybe three out of five. Can you incorporate those other two missing elements into your current position? And if not, is there something you can do outside of the work environment that gives you those two other elements that may be missing? Mm -hmm. And if not, especially if you're 30 years into a career, maybe this is the time to start thinking about, well, eventually I'm going to be retiring. I've got a nice nest egg. Now I really want to do this. And now you can actually pursue it. Um, so, you know, sometimes it is having those challenging conversations with individuals who have been in the career for so many years. And again, it goes back to they can tell you what they do. But who are you is is the part that they need to really realize. That makes complete sense. Mm -hmm. Well, we'll take a short commercial break and we'll be right right back. Yeah. <laughs> Fired Up Freedom will be right back after these messages. Do you ever have moments where you feel stress, anxiety, or it's hard to sleep? Then meditation may be the perfect thing to help you. Come and join our meditation channel where there's 24 hours a day on-demand meditation music. Go to steveryan.com slash meditation. That's steveryan.com slash meditation. It's time to have freedom from the noise. All right. So we're back. So we've had a wonderful conversation about the non-negotiable things that, uh, you know, involves decisions people make uh, in so many words. And now I, I want to ask you about, there's two books that you author. One was mm -hmm. about storytelling and one was about your journey to, to India. So your first one, the storytelling, what's that book about? Yeah. So in 2011, I did my first TEDx speech on, you know, discovering the extraordinary and the ordinary. When I was asked to do a TEDx, I thought about it. And the realization was a lot of people had said, look, you tell these great stories. How do I tell stories? So I had to go back and think about, well, I mean, naturally, I just tell stories, but then I had to break it down. And I came up with a concept that... Uh, you know, carpe diem is seize the day, but carpe is what I do to build stories. And I share that with individuals on how they can build their stories. So uh, what carpe stands for is uh, curiosity, appreciation, reflection, perspectives, and experience. So when it comes to storytelling, curiosity to me is where you have to go through life with a curious nature, an open mind. And then something stops you because of the fact that you're being curious and you want to learn more about it. By learning more, you actually appreciate the situation, the person, the thing for more than what it is. And to appreciate it, 
you start adding purpose and meaning by reflecting on it. And by reflecting, all of a sudden you start pulling in your perspectives. And by pulling in your perspectives, there adds more significance and purpose to what you are now building as a story. And then experience is the last one where if you don't catalog this experience as, as a story, your story dies an untimely death. And that's one of the most critical parts because we don't mark it ever as an experience. I think, Steve, many of us just go through life in autopilot where things are ordinary. But embedded in the ordinary are these tremendously extraordinary experiences. And I'll give you an example. So, for example, I, um, I carry with me puzzle pieces. And if I was to give you a single piece of a jigsaw puzzle, what can you do with one piece? Not much. It's a single piece of a jigsaw puzzle. But this is what people feel like. They feel ordinary. They feel like that single piece of a jigsaw puzzle. They don't know where they fit in. They don't know what the bigger picture is. Right before your eyes, I'm going to transform it into something extraordinary. Because Steve, if I give you this single piece of a jigsaw puzzle, the satchel is where my puzzle comes from. Do you realize my puzzle is now permanently incomplete if I give you a piece of this jigsaw puzzle. Do you realize how important you are now? Because there's, let's say I've given about 5,000 pieces to date. There's no one piece that's more significant or important than another. Every single piece matters. But I need you to be a part of this. Otherwise, my puzzle is now incomplete. That's an example of how you take something ordinary and you make it extraordinary. And if you were to use that carpe principle, well, when it first came out or when I, when I was thinking about it, I was doing an event. And there was about 100 people there. And I thought, I want to I connect everybody or, or I want to get people together. And I gave, it, this came to me. Curiosity stopped me. So this idea of the puzzle piece. So in other words, curiosity stopped me when I saw these puzzle pieces. Then the A kicked in. I appreciated it for more than what it was. It's more than a jigsaw puzzle piece. Mm -hmm. I started reflecting. That's the R. Thinking deeper about it. It's about, you know, the parts and pieces come together. So there was this reflection piece. And I started adding perspectives of, you know, relationships and connectedness and the importance of, you know, how we can be more together as a, as a fabric of this jigsaw puzzle. And then I captured it as a story, as an experience. That's an example of how one can convert the ordinary into the uh, extraordinary. And that becomes the first book that I wrote about because then I provided, you know, ideas and thoughts of how people can actually build their stories. And I remember I, I, one of the things I wrote in the very beginning of that book was there is fear in writing this book because of what people may think. Right. The, the bigger story is what if I don't write this book, you know, <laughs> and that was the bigger fear. The second book emerged out of that first book. And the second book was about my journey to find my ancestral roots in India. And, um, you know, right. it was one of those journeys where you know, I was, think of it this way. I'm a British born Canadian mm -hmm. with parents from Fiji islands and grandparents from India. So I have this cultural identity 
that is very convoluted. It's it's difficult to say, you know, who am I? And I struggled with identity. So I decided that I wanted to go to India to find my grandfather's house. And nobody knew where it was because we had been separated from our ancestral roots by, you know, three generations. And, you know, think of it as Fiji, Great Britain, Canada, and, and you know, nobody in my family's really been to India. And, you know, it was also about that identity piece. So I wrote this book called Lost and Found, and it's called Lost and Found, Seeking the Past and Finding Myself, because I went in search of my ancestral roots as well as my identity. All I had was this faded photograph of the people from our village. And that's, it's a three and a half by three and a half faded photograph of people that are standing in front of a house. So that's mm -hmm. what I had to go by. The best way for me to describe it is I went to India, a foreigner going to a land that shouldn't be foreign to them in search of a needle in a haystack, but not sure where the haystack was. But it was also about my identity as a British born Canadian parents from Fiji and grandparents from India, because people would ask me what part of India am I from? Because visibly I look like I'm Indian. I'd be like, well, I was born in England, raised in Canada. I'm like, no, no, no. Your parents, what part of India? Well, my parents are from Fiji islands. And they look at me going like, are you Indian? <laughs> I'm going like, well, my grandparents and my ancestors come from India. Mm -hmm. And the journey is a beautiful one because it it really was an eye-opening experience when I went to India for the first time because I got to see the magnificence of what that country has. But it was also about the uh, injustice and the poverty to experience it. And it made me realize that, you know, I'm a traveler, not a tourist. A tourist wants to see mm -hmm. the place. A traveler wants to experience it. And I needed to experience this place. The way I found my identity is I had an epiphany during this trip. I woke up at four in the morning because prior to India, my life was what I call a tali. And a tali is a platter with segmented dishes from, from India. And that's what my life was like, segmented into those various categories that I was always putting myself into. Mm -hmm. By going to India, the epiphany was, rather than, you know, a tali, I'm actually a rice dish called kichdi. And kichdi is a blend of flavors, a blend of spices. So it made me realize that rather than segmenting, I'm a blend of flavors. We're all a blend of flavors. We are all kichdi. So that part of the finding my own identity was amazing. But it was also this very difficult search to find this needle in a haystack. We, we sort of knew the name of the village. We knew it was about six miles from a town. And it sat in this one district. But it wasn't that easy of a search. And there were setbacks along the way. But the yeah. long and short of that story is the fact that, you know, somehow I was able to actually find my grandfather's house with that faded photograph. And, uh, you know... A person who wow. I know just basically saw themselves <laughs> in this picture said, wait, that's me in the picture. Who are you? And uh, I actually oh. came across. Yeah. So she. Oh, he was alive. She was. Or no. So this lady in this picture here, when I arrived at a house, this picture here, this lady right there. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, it wasn't as simple as, you know, we just happened to reach a village. It, it, there right. was methodical searching, but we managed to get to this. And she looked at this picture and she was just like, that's me in the picture. Who are you? And uh, it turned out that where I wound up was my grandfather's brother's family. And nobody mm. knew where that was, but now I was able to recover it. But that's why the book is called Lost and Found, Seeking the Past and Finding Myself. So I think it's a very fitting title. So in that book, um, do you reveal the mm -hmm. secrets of how you found it? Yes, I do. I do. Okay. And, and, and to, be, to be fair, Steve, I mean, I was very fortunate that I was able to actually find it. And I've taught, had many conversations with people saying, well, it's great that you found it, but you know what? I don't think I will ever find, you know, any of our ancestral roots. For example, I was talking to somebody from, you know, they're, they're Italian and they said, yeah, but my ancestors are from Sicily. We have no records whatsoever. I went to Sicily and, you know, it just didn't work. I said, okay, but wait a minute. You know that you're Italian. You know that, you know, Sicily is where your ancestors emerged from. They go, yeah, but I don't know the house, the town, the village, none of that. I said, but when you went to Sicily, was there something that just connected you to this place? Was there something that just made you feel like, wow, this, I'm at a place where my ancestors are from. And he goes, oh, yeah, for sure. I said, <laughs> I was able to find my grandfather's house. You actually discovered the same thing, but maybe not the house, but you were home. And as a result of that, you actually accomplished what you set out to do to go somewhere where you actually feel there's something that connects me back to this place. So anybody can, can feel that by going back to somewhere. You don't need to find the house, the, the family members that still might be there. Instead, just go there and really appreciate and embrace where you are. And I'll just read a, a quick little quote it really captures the essence of the story and, and the book itself. Travel isn't always pretty. It isn't always comfortable. Sometimes it hurts. It even breaks your heart. But that's okay. The journey changes you. It should change you. It leaves marks on your memory, on your consciousness, on your heart, and on your body. You take something with you. Hopefully, you leave something good behind. And that was by Anthony Bourdain, but I think it just really captured the essence of that trip that I took. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. And the last thing um, mm -hmm. I want to ask you um, is you have this tagline, Every, mm -hmm. everyone's life is an autobiography. Right. Make yours worth reading. reading. <laughs> Sorry. Mm -hmm. So what inspired that? Like, mm -hmm. where, where did that come from? This is such a uh, profound yeah. <laughs> I know everyone's life is an autobiography. Make yours worth reading. Uh, what it tells me is everybody is a living story. Everybody has things to share, but they feel insignificant or nobody's going to be interested in this story. No one's interested in uh, what I have to say. And I'm like, no, no. If it's important to you, it's worth sharing. And if you recall, one of my five core elements isn't storytelling, it's story sharing. And the reason I say that, Steve, is I think storytelling is what I do in my class. I share stories, but I tell stories to my students. It's a unilateral 
exchange. Story sharing is where you sit down with someone and we both have an engaging conversation. I learn about them, they learn about me, and we layer in to each other's stories. It came to me because it made me realize that, you know, as we go through life, we are building an autobiography. We are building it word by word, paragraph by paragraph, chapter by chapter. But our life is an autobiography. And the challenge that I always put to people is, but make it worth reading. It doesn't mean you have to go do dangerous things, but it's a reminder that, you know, make yours worth reading, you know, really share what, what is it that makes up who you are and what activates you. And it's like, um, you know, I always tell people I'm an average person with extraordinary experiences. And they all become, because I go through life with that carpe concept of curiosity, appreciation, reflection, perspectives, and experiences, I'm able to catalog these stories where, you know, I was able to go to India to find my ancestral roots or, you know, being three feet away from flowing lava and seeing mother nature in its brilliance or going on an African safari and, and seeing wildlife the way it was meant to be, you know, and not in a zoo or, you know, being able to go into the pyramids of Egypt. I mean, I've had some tremendous experiences and I think we all do, but it's important for us to share. Wow. Mm -hmm. You've been incredible. It's a lot of insight. A lot of people are going to actually get so much from this. And I really appreciate your time for being on today. Thank you. And can't wait to check out your book. It, it, now I'm very, very interested in it. <laughs> I'm hopeful that it becomes a screenplay. I think it would be a really good movie. From I haven't read it, but from what you're telling me, it would be. And the journey of you finding that is very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, and and Steve, you know, um, people can always drop into my website. I've got about 180 blog posts where I talk about these experiences and uh, it's there to help people. Uh, they're all free. You can always go in there and read the blogs. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's there for everybody. Uh, again, it goes back to this opportunity of just being able to share. Yeah. Wow. Yes, I do see it on your website here. Mm -hmm. So that is pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. So that's Sam. Uh, am I saying your last name correctly? Thiara? Yep. Sam-Thiara.com. Sam-Thiara.com. Yeah. I like a lot of these t uh, titles. Is it really my fault? I tried my best. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, and for, to be fair, that blog post was, uh, you know, no matter how hard I try to be an inspiring and engaging instructor, there will always be a few students, handful of small, you know, students that just, it doesn't connect and you can't take things personally. Uh, so I, I provide that as a, as a bit of an insight for people that, you know, you can't please everybody, just do what's authentic to you. So that's just an example. That's a wonderful example. So, mm -hmm. wow. So be sure to check out Sam-Thiara, T-H-I-A-R-A.com. Ah, it's been a pleasure. You have a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful day now. <laughs> uh, thank, thank you, Steve. And it's a real pleasure and uh, all the best to your audience. Thank you. <laughs>
Free.